Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. We've been doing a series here on relationships called Together, and we're looking at different elements of human relationships and different aspects and angles of human relationships and and also relationship with God. And today we're going to continue on that theme. I want to start today with a text of Scripture that was actually, this is really interesting, it was referenced in one of the songs that we sang in Son of Suffering, and we didn't coordinate that. And uh, I saw there's a brother that's here in the church, and he posted this section of Scripture this week on Facebook, and I commented about it. And that was also really amazing because it was the text of Scripture that I was going to be preaching on, or one of the parts of it. And so uh, I feel like God has been confirming. You know how He does that? You ever have that happen in your life where, like, you're thinking about something or you're reading something, and then the next thing you know, everywhere you turn, it's popping up, and you're like, oh, God's talking to me. Okay, well, I I really felt encouraged today that that the Lord was speaking. So uh, I want us all to read this text of Scripture out loud. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And uh, I'd like you to, you know, take some lungs in, in, I mean, some lungs into your air? No, that's not quite right. Take some air into your lungs. If you take some lungs into your air, that's going to look really weird. Okay, and then let's read this out loud together. You have come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Wow, that's packed. That's a loaded verse. We're going to come back to that verse later, but I want to start just by saying this. You know, this is our key text for the day. And we're going to look today at the story of Cain and of Abel, and we're going to see how Jesus' death on the cross reconciles us to God, but also reconciles us to one another. That the basis ultimately of our relationship, you and I that are sitting here today, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic class, your ethnic background, none of those things ultimately matter like Christ and His shed blood and what He did on the cross. And the reason that we're here and the reason that we can have unity and we can be one is all because of Him. It's all because He mediated a new covenant between human beings and God, and in so doing, He restored us to one another. Amen? I want to start with a few thoughts for you today um, that are are going to be addressed in the message, but I just kind of want to lay the foundation of them. And and here's what they are. The first one is, we, we have this concept and this idea many times that our fall into sin, human beings, when, when Adam and Eve first sinned and they fell and they dragged all of humanity with them, we have this idea that that fall into sin caused God to turn away from humanity. We've often heard it, you know, God can't look upon sin, so He turned away. But I'm going to demonstrate in the Scripture today that that is not the story of the gospel at all. The story of the gospel and the story of the whole Bible is not God turning away from human sin because He's too pure and holy to look upon it, but rather God pursuing rebel humanity as we run from Him because of sin. Sin brought death. We rebel and turn from God, and the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the relentless pursuit of God after rebels. 
Okay? The second thing is that the story of Scripture is, yeah, it, it goes right along with that. It's the story of God chasing down fallen and spiritually dead humanity. God has never turned away from us. We turned away from Him. We chose death from the beginning. And He's been pursuing us because He loves us. And He set in motion this incredible story of redemption, what we call the gospel or the good news. He set it in motion because He is redeeming and restoring that which has fallen and that which is broken. And I think it's, it's really important we understand this because what happened in the garden is that we were alive unto God. C.S. Lewis brings out the idea that we, have t- we had two kinds of life in us in the original creation. We had the bios life, which courses through our blood and causes our bodies to live, and we have Zoe life. We have the life of God, the life of the Spirit, and this life came out of a union with God. And when Adam and Eve partook of, and it wasn't an apple, okay? I know a lot of times we call it an apple, but the Bible never says it's an apple. It just says it's fruit. Okay, so if you enjoy apples, you're not sinning. I just want you to know that. But when they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, sometimes people say, what's the big deal? They ate a piece of fruit. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they were setting up themselves as God. The temptation was that God knows that in the day that you eat it, you'll become like Him, knowing good and evil. And so the temptation in human beings has always been to assert ourselves in our own space as our own gods, as our own lords, and to establish that we don't need God, we can do this independently. That is what happened to us. And so when they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, spiritually, the Zoe life of God inside of them died. And humanity became cut off from the life of God and and began to live in a place of futility, in, in the futility of our own minds. And so God set in motion a plan to restore us and redeem us. And that's what regeneration is. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us and the life of God comes within us again, we have a regenesis, a rebeginning, a restart of fellowship and union with God. Thirdly, the sacrificial death of Jesus forgives us and reconciles us to God and our fellow humans, providing the restoration of relationships. From the beginning of time, God's been working behind the scenes to restore all that's broken, especially broken relationships, and make His creation right again. So that's what He's up to. So I want to take you today to a story, a tragic story, the story of the first murder in the Bible. When a brother kills a brother and then decides to set up on his own apart from God. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. And we're going to look at the fact that the fall brought broken relationships, murder, and the rejection of God. Okay, verse 1, or maybe is it verse 1 or is it verse 4? Okay, so here we go, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. That means they were intimate. Saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And Abel also, excuse me, verse 3, I got sidetracked. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord, just notice the language, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, okay? And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, notice the language, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Another version says is to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, and I want you to notice his language. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain... Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, and we have no idea what that mark was, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain, I want you to look, notice the language, and you can look in a number of translations, but it says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Oh, this is so packed. Okay. Let's break this down and look at this. It's a, it's a very telling story, and it really captures the human dilemma, right? I mean, if we want to know what's going on right now, ultimately, in Ukraine and in different parts of Africa and different parts of South and Central America, and what's been happening in the human story from the beginning of time, it's the story of Cain and Abel. It's the story of brothers killing brothers, right? And we've had it in our own country. We've experienced it even in our own time in many ways. This is the story, the human dilemma that once we began to wander from God and turn our back on God, we started also turning our back on each other and doing violence to one another. So let's walk through this. Adam and Eve had two sons named Cain and Abel. Interesting names. Cain means possession and Abel means breath. That, that, that's kind of interesting. You can kind of figure, you know, work that out in your own mind. And Cain and Abel each brought an offering to God. God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's. Why? Because he didn't give with heart and according to God's pattern. Now, let, let me just remind you of a couple things that happened in the garden. After Adam and Eve had sinned and um, they realized what they'd done, the Scripture says their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, and interesting, notice what they did, and they fled from the presence of the Lord, and they hid among the trees of the garden, and they fashioned fig leaves and clothed themselves with fig leaves, which is human religion, right? We're always trying to cover ourselves. And, and so God comes to them in the third chapter of Genesis, and He says, what have you done? And, 
And, and then he curses the serpent and he tells them what the consequences of their sin are going to be. And death already begins to work in them. And, and then there's this little text that you can almost miss if you're not paying attention. It says, and the Lord fashioned skins. And other translations capture it better. The Lord clothed them with animal skins. So what happened in the garden right there is a sacrifice took place. An animal died. And God was showing them, here's the consequence of human sin. Human sin always leads to death, and there's got to be a substitution to cover you. And so an animal is sacrificed, and for the first time in their existence, they observe death. They observe the response to human sin. They watch an animal die. God clothes them with those skins, and they no longer are covering their own nakedness. Now God's covering them. It's really profound. And then somewhere in there, and we don't know, it, it, it isn't, the Scripture doesn't tell us, but somewhere in there a pattern of sacrifice has developed. Somewhere in there God shows, him, shows them the way to have a substitutionary system put in front of them where they can observe that, that things have to die in order for things to be made right, that, that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin, Right? So he establishes this pattern, okay? And, and, and also, in the Old Testament sacrifices, you could bring your fruits and your vegetables, animals, all of it was to be offered. But here was the one overruling principle of all sacrifices and all offerings. They must come from your best. They've got to be your first fruits. They've got to be the very best you have. You can't be half-hearted. You can't be tipping God. You can't be giving Him your leftovers. You give Him your best, and in so doing, you establish that you recognize that He's the giver of everything, that the best things that you have are all from His hand. Right? And so what happens is Cain, you know, he's a, he works with the ground. And some say the reason that God rejected his offering is because he didn't bring an animal that may or may not be true, but if you read the text, it just simply says he brought some of the fruit of the ground. And even the language, if you read between the lines, it's kind of half-hearted, right? So Cain kind of brings his offering. Here you go, God. I know this is what we're supposed to do here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obeying the rules. The rules are we're supposed to give you what we make and what we do, so here you go. And then it says of Abel, he brings the firstborn and the fat, and if you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, they were always to bring the firstborn and the fat. The fat represented the best, right? And so, they, so Abel brings his offering and gives it to God. Cain brings his. And God's like, uh, no, I, I see where your heart's at. I, I, I can't accept that. And Cain gets angry. And what does he do? He does what human beings do. He gets angry with God and he takes it out on his brother. Right? And then what's even more telling is he plays the victim. If you read the rest of the text, he goes into victim mode big time. Oh, my punishments do. Like, I, he, you never hear him say, you're right, God. You never observe Cain go through any process of repentance. He just killed his brother. And what does he say about it? Your punishment's too harsh. You're just a big meanie. Right? You never see him say, you're right. And his heart isn't, isn't struck with a sense of conviction and he doesn't say, God, forgive me for killing my brother. I really believe if he'd said, forgive me for killing my brother, and you know, th there would have been, he had, uh, would have offered sacrifices of atonement and done that and restoration would have come. But instead, he hardens his heart, he deepens his rebellion, and he ultimately flees from God. As though you could, right? 
So they bring their offering. And then I want you to notice God spoke to Cain gently. And he showed him the way of acceptance. Listen to what he says. He says, he says look, uh, blah, 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 blah. Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. In other words, listen, this is your battle. This is your fight, and you've got to win this one. Why don't you do well? And what's he saying? Why don't you go back? Go back to the beginning. I don't want that offering. Go back to the beginning and either bring to me an animal of the first fruits, buy one from, use some of your vegetables and buy one from Abel if that's what the requirement was, or bring to me the very best of your field and do it with your heart. Do it with your heart. Love me. It's like God said, just, just let, let it be offered with love. Not out of some sense of moral obligation, this is what you told us to do, all right, have your vegetables, you know, like God's hungry. There's even a text in the Scripture, you know, you're going to bring me your offerings, you think I'm hungry? Don't you realize the whole earth is mine? If I'm hungry, I could have anything I want. I don't want your offerings that are half-hearted, bring me the full thing, right? And so Cain has his opportunity and, and God's giving him the chance to repent and to make it right, but he doesn't do it, he hardens himself. And then... Cain rises up and he kills his brother and he commits that first recorded murder. And God punishes him for it. <clears throat> but he's still merciful. And yet Cain doesn't respond. Then Abel's blood, think about this, Abel's blood is crying out. How did God know? Well, God sees everything, but there was also the voice of his blood. And I want you to think about that. When innocent blood is shed, it speaks loud. It speaks to God. So this innocent blood has been shed and it's talking to God. And what's it saying according to Hebrews 12? It's saying justice and vengeance. This has got to be made right. And you know what God does? He sets in motion a plan to make it all right. All the way back to Abel's death and what his blood is speaking, God's going to deal with the need for justice and vengeance. He's going to do it <laughs> by becoming one of us and dying on a Roman cross in our place and dealing with vengeance, taking it upon himself. So Cain then takes the role of victim. He accuses God of turning his face away from him. And God didn't reject Cain. Let, 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 me, let me just point something out to you through the entire text. The first thing is after Adam and Eve fall, because some people say, you know, once we sinned, we put up a barrier and now God has to turn his face away from us because we're sinful. Have you ever heard that preached? God has to turn from us because we're sinful. And, and yet, over and over again, it says, and God spoke to Adam and Eve. He chased them in the garden, right? They just sinned, and he's not like, ooh, they sinned. I can't, I have to avoid them now. I can't look at them because I can't look at sin. You don't see God doing that. You see God chasing them, finding them, hiding among the trees of the garden, taking their fig leaves away, covering them with a sacrifice, saying this is how you have to be covered now with a sacrifice. And then you see after that, Cain and Abel are born, and Cain's about to do evil, and even before he does evil, God's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Cain, stop. Hey, listen, if you just make it right, it can all be good. So what does that say? I don't know if he was appearing as a man in a human form. A lot of people think he was in what is known as a theophanies, an appearance of God in the Old Testament in human form. But 
However God was meeting Cain, he was talking to him. He was pursuing him. He was trying to stop him from sinning. And then after he sins, what's he do? He doesn't say, I can't look on you. Your brother's blood is crying out from the earth. I will not have anything else to do with you. But rather he comes to him and he says, what have you done? What have you done? Why? Your brother's blood is crying out to me. And then it says, the language is very telling, it says, His perspective, Cain's perspective is, you've driven me today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I'll be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. God did tell me he would be a fugitive and wanderer. And then in verse wanderer, that's for for Ken and for Dominic, Dominic left. He'll be a wanderer on earth, okay? I just want to make that clear. Not a wanderer, a wanderer. Okay, this is inside joke, sorry. Okay, and then it says in verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. What does Psalm 139 tell us? Can anybody tell me? David, where can I go from your presence? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go into heaven, you are there. If I ascend to the depths of the grave, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. No matter where I go, there you are. So we know it's impossible. We know God is omnipresent. So obviously, it wasn't like Cain went somewhere on earth where God wasn't. The language more captures the idea that Cain said, I don't want anything to do with you. My heart is hardened more, and I'm fleeing from your presence. I'm done with you. I'm going to set up on my own and become my own God. And when you look at the family line of Cain that follows, that's exactly what they did. Out of Cain's Cain's family line came Babel and a lot of other things, the tower, right? And so we see one who flees from the presence of the Lord. That Hebrew word presence is the word face. So Cain went away from the face of the Lord. I don't want to look at your face anymore. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I'm going to go set up without you. And he flees. And we see the tragedy of the first, that that relationship that's vertical and that first murder, that first death and what's been happening with human beings since then. So I want you to notice once again The two ideas that we see throughout the Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And they are not two separate commands, but one command with two sides of the same coin. And they're interlinked and they're connected all the time. So it's impossible to say that you love God and hate your neighbor. It's impossible to say, I love God and I'm passionate for Jesus, but you don't demonstrate love for your neighbor, your brother, So we we see this picture, once again, um, demonstrated here. The relationship with Cain and Abel and the relationship with God are all interlinked. You still with me? Help me out here. You know, if you want me to preach good, you got to give me an amen every once in a while, at least smile at me or something, okay? So help me out. So what does that have to do with Jesus? Isn't it interesting in Hebrews 12, 24, that the text speaks of Abel? When it's talking about Jesus' death on the cross and His sacrifice, it goes all the way back to the first murder. And you see that a lot in the Bible, this this concept of, of origins, beginnings, patterns that get established. And so Hebrews 12, 24, now let's go back to it. And what does the blood of Jesus speak to us? Verse 24, you have come to Jesus. I love those words right there. You have come to Jesus. We can say it a lot of ways. You have come to Jesus. 
for you have come to Jesus. But we've come to Jesus, right? Notice what it says. The one who mediates. How many of you know what a mediator is? Right? We'll get to that in a few minutes. The one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, that's the blood of Jesus here, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So let's look at this. We have come to Jesus. That's the first part. I I love that language because it shows us where we have to start. Jesus is the one we come to for relationships to be put right with God and each other. He's the key to all peace on earth between God and people. We have to come to Him in everything first. Just think about this for a minute. We have come to Jesus. Think about this. How many times have you not come to Jesus? When you had issues, when you had conflict, when something was triggering you, when you were ticked off about something, when a person, when a news feed you read, when something happened, the first thing you did was... You just went right after it. You just, instead of coming to Jesus first, you engaged. What if in our lives we came to Jesus? See, we we read that. This can't just be. One time at your salvation experience when the pastor did an amazing altar call and the music was playing, come as you are, and you made your way down the aisle and you prayed the sinner's prayer, and now I've come to Jesus. No, I'm going to tell you something about this walk. You need to come to Jesus like several times a day, maybe an hour, maybe minute by minute. You need to recognize that every breath you have is from Jesus. Every heartbeat in your chest is a gift from God. Right? And so when we begin to understand that we come to Jesus, what if we came to Jesus about everything in our life, every relationship? Can you imagine right now if in Ukraine or other parts of the world where wars are happening, everybody just stopped and said, let's bring this to Jesus. I know you say pie in the sky. That's unrealistic. That, that's never going to work. I'm going to tell you something. If every human being on earth right now turned to Jesus... I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it happened, we'd have peace on earth, goodwill toward men. All the wars would cease, and it would, be, it would begin something that would change everything. But the problem is people don't come to Jesus. We're like Cain. We're fleeing from the presence of the Lord. We're going to nod east of Eden and hiding ourselves. So let me just challenge you. What are you facing right now? Have you come to Jesus? Come to Jesus. I think you got the point. And then it says, Jesus mediates a new covenant between God and people. The Greek word for mediate means one who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship, a form or form a compact, or for ratifying a covenant. Jesus is the one who brings peace between parties needing restoration and at war with each other, and it starts with us and God. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel was we are hopeless and helpless and lost in futility and sin and we can't save ourselves. And what does God do? He acts. 
He establishes a covenant with us. He moves toward us. He sends his son for us. His son dies in our place. His son mediates a new covenant between us and man and breaks down any barrier that we put up before God because of spiritual death in our own sin. God did it. He acted. He worked toward us. He moved toward us. And then it says Jesus' blood speaks forgiveness instead of the vengeance of Abel's blood. How did Jesus do this? He paid the penalty for our rejection of God and the way we treat our fellow humans. Jesus' blood made it possible to be forgiven, set free from our sin, and reconciled to others, and most importantly to God. He's truly the key to resolving all conflict, vertical, horizontal. He's the key. He's the one who does it, right? And so His blood speaks forgiveness, not vengeance. And that's really important for us because... I don't know about you, but without Jesus, I can have a pretty good temper. Anybody else in this room? How many of you find yourself, you see kind of a red flash? There was a guy in our church that used to say he saw the purple flash, right? I mean, something happens, you feel an injustice is done to you, somebody gets up in your grill a little bit, somebody says something about your family, about your spouse, whatever, about whatever, whatever will make you angry, and the first thing you do is like, Anybody got that? What if we all came to Jesus at that moment? (laughs) Right? And let his blood speak and not our need for vengeance, not our need to set others right. Right? What if we let his blood speak? His blood speaks forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven much in the last 24 hours. Right? Not just back there when I first came to Jesus, but I was telling the first service, it's like, you know, if I, if I was really honest with my day, be honest with your day sometime. Try this. Try to count how often you sin in the course of one day. And listen, don't justify yourself. I didn't get enough sleep, so I snapped at my wife. No. No. You snapped at your wife because you're sin right? You snapped at your wife. You treated that person at the store like that. You got mad because your food didn't come quick enough at the restaurant you ate at, and you were rude to the waitress. You did all of that not because you didn't get enough sleep or you were hangry. You did it because of sin. And you were selfish, and you lusted, and you coveted what didn't belong to you. You broke the commandments somewhere. And you won't even, you see, that's the thing about us. That's the deceitfulness of sin. We won't even acknowledge it. But I double dog dare you to one day just try to count the number of times you sin in the course of the day. By the end of the day, you're like, oh, Jesus, (laughs) I confess. I need you for every breath. Right? And that's the beauty of the gospel. And and here's the, the beautiful thing. The gospel is working even when you don't acknowledge it. Even in our fellowship, the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin, it says in 1 John. I'm getting cleansed when I don't know it. Even when I haven't confessed it all, he's cleaning me, he's working in me. Why? Because his gospel is what's powerful, not my ability to keep it. Right? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. Go with God. He goes with you. God bless you.